Hey you, you're listening to episode 117 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about the prevention of disease, keto macros, starvation, and food quality, plus how to support your brain. And yes, you really do want to support your brain now before it's too late. And I don't mean to scare you, it's just, it's pretty important stuff and you'll learn why in today's episode. If you have questions about today's content, head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. Today's podcast extra and transcript can be found at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E117. In today's episode, we talk about things like meditation, blue light blocking glasses, how to build a toxin-free life, So in today's podcast extra, I'm going to be including a bunch of links to products that I use, meditation apps that I use. So if you head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E117, you can download that free guide and it'll have all of those resources in there for you. One cool thing I got for you today, and that is that if you're enjoying these podcasts and you're like, yeah, I feel so motivated and I learned so much, my online membership program, Happy Keto Body, is 12 weeks of all of that and so much more. We cover every topic under the sun, answer your questions, and really dive deep into all things health, hormones, weight loss, and keto. And if you don't already know, Happy Keto Body includes information, tips, and advice from Dr. Nina Lewis Larson. She's a certified naturopathic doctor and she shows up every week inside Happy Keto Body to share her expert advice. If that sounds like something you can get behind, then get ready because I'm opening up the doors to Happy Keto Body this time next month. You can head on over to happyketobody.com to get on the list so you can be one of the first to know when registration opens. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, and heal your body. From television, print, and billboard ads to social media and internet marketing, making you feel less than is a billion-dollar industry. You won't find that here. And if you're struggling to make sense of the truth that you are so much more than good enough, I'd like to help. My 21-day Whole Keto Challenge is open for registration, and as a listener of the show, you'll receive 20% off this daily coaching program with the coupon code KETONOW at checkout. Go to healthfulpursuit.com slash whole, use the code KETONOW for your 20% off. Whole Keto complements your healthy keto lifestyle so you can repair your relationship with your body and start living your joy now. If you're new around these parts, I'm Leanne Vogel. You may know me as the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of HappyKetoBody.com, or maybe you know me as the nutritionist that likes dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thanks so much for listening. Today's guest is Max Lugaver, who is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods, Become Smarter, Happier, and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life. He is also the host of the top-ranking health podcast, The Genius Life. Max has contributed to Medscape, Vice, Fast Company, CNN, and The Daily Beast, and appears regularly as the health and nutrition expert on The Dr. Oz Show, The Rachel Ray Show, and The Dr. Okay, let's get over to today's episode. 
Hey, Max, how's it going? Hey, so good to see you. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This is a pleasure. Okay, of course. Um, okay, so I like to ask every guest before we get started, what does keto mean to you? Oh, man. Well, to me, it's sort of like a default state of metabolism for you know, for human beings. I mean, it's something that I, I feel that, you know, just through the lens of evolution, it makes a lot of sense that um, we would have spent at least uh, some, if not most of our time in a ketogenic state because food availability is not something that we were really able, able to rely on up until the advent of, you know, agriculture and supermarkets and, you know, most recently, obviously, food delivery apps. So, you know, our bodies have been sort of honed, chiseled in a way to be able to oscillate between a fed and fasted state. And I think that, you know, food has never been more plentiful than it is now. And so keto to me is just a, it's a, it's paying homage, I think, in a way to millions of, and if not billions of years of evolution um, that really have, you know, caused this adaptation within us to be able to use our own fat for fuel. And, um, too frequently today, I think people thwart their ability to use fat for fuel because they're chronically fed. And, um, and to me, it's sort of like, you know, I consider ketones almost a, a birthright fuel is how I, I describe them. That's amazing. I've never heard it that way, but it's so beautifully said. Yes, I totally agree with you. And how did you get into this work? I know that's a loaded question, but I'd love to know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been an early adopter, although I think people are, you know, in the nutrition space might be familiar with me um, only over the past couple of years. But just personally, I've been really interested in nutrition for my entire life. Well, beginning in high school, I uh, was a sort of computer programmer, introvert, you know, I played a lot of video games, and uh, I was never athletic in any capacity. But I discovered bodybuilding, actually, because there was a, a supplement store close to my high school in New York City. And it wasn't like a GNC. It was more of like a mom and pop shop. And the guy that was always there um, when school would let out was very knowledgeable. And I just kind of, I don't know, probably, you know, a confluence of factors, the fact that, you know, I was not athletic, and I was maybe unhealthily obsessed with superheroes. At the time, I saw supplements as being this sort of way to you know, like tinctures and potions and powders that could help me transcend my, you know, my meager stature at the time. And, uh, and I just became fascinated by them. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of marketing hype. And I, I very, you know, early on became privy to that. But nonetheless, I started doing, uh, you know, deep dives into whatever literature I could find. And ultimately, I became a frequent user of message boards. I think they were called news groups at the time. Um, and there were some related to fitness and bodybuilding. And I stumbled upon this book, probably the first book written for, you know, not necessarily an academic crowd, written by Lyle McDonald called The Ketogenic Diet back in 1990, like seven, I want to say, or, or something like that. And, and I read this book and it was really fascinating. You know, there were no, there were lots and lots of references, no diagrams, pictures or anything like that. It was really made for like a, a, an enthusiast for um, physiology and nutrition. And, and I read that and, um, it just kind of blew my mind. And, you know, fast forward 15 years later, uh, 20 years later, you know, I'm, I'm, I had still, I still harbored this passion for nutrition and health. And it was very much a private, um, sort of enterprise for me. But, um, a couple of years ago now, maybe like eight years ago, my mother started to develop the earliest symptoms of dementia. And I started looking into, 
modifiable, modifiable risk factors that might have predisposed my mom to developing that condition and also non-pharmacologic interventions that are being used that might, you know, potentially help or even, you know, potentially have a, a disease modifying effect. And of course, you know, when diving into the the literature and and just kind of what people are talking about in regards to nutrition and these kinds of conditions, it's not long before one stumbles upon ketosis and ketogenic diets and how that pertains to, you know, conditions like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And so I had no idea 15 years ago that I would ultimately circle back to this this interest in ketones and, and things like that. But um, it's become a major focus for me because of, you know, obviously the role that ketones play in brain health and brain function. And, you know, I'd like to report that my mom is on a ketogenic diet. Uh, I wish I could report that, but she's not. But for me, you know, as somebody who's interested in, in the prevention of these kinds of conditions, you know, ketogenic dieting and supplementation, they're all a major part of my protocol and routine. And, and we can get into the specifics of it. But yeah, I mean, I think that the research, you know, five years ago was already compelling and it just is continuing to get even more and more convincing that practic measure for these kinds of conditions, which didn't exist in antiquity, mm. really. Back to today's episode in a sec. We've chatted on the podcast before about cleansing and detoxification on a ketogenic diet. And a lot of people have been asking me if I test positive for having a bunch of metals in my body or I'm traveling and the food quality isn't very good. How do I protect my body from these heavy metals and just these toxins overall? And my answer has always been and will probably continue to be charcoal. It's a very powerful detox agent. It's super common. You, as soon as you ingest charcoal, it goes through your entire digestive canal from your mouth through to your stomach, your small intestine, through to your large intestine. And then anything that it picks up on the way, like a little magnet through your body, is released through your poo. It doesn't irritate or harm the mucous membranes of the gastrointestinal system, which is really important. And our body system stays safe and unharmed as this dynamic detoxifier does all the work. You may be familiar with taking charcoal supplements. I always keep a couple of capsules in my purse. If I accidentally eat gluten, I take charcoal immediately and the belly pain and bloat goes down. But if you just want to incorporate charcoal into your daily life or perhaps there are a couple of days where you're just in need of a detox and you want something super simple, I just found the mushroom lemonade with charcoal and chaga from Four Sigmatic. It's a powder that's an all-in-one support for digestion, skin well-being, and detoxification. It's jet black and combines the antioxidant properties of chaga, which is a mushroom, with activated charcoal for digestive support and lemon to assist hydration and skin well-being to help you glow from the inside out. Now, it is sweetened with monk fruit. So what I like to do is add a bunch of water to my Yeti water bottle, add ice on top of that, and then add two tablespoons to a quarter cup of lemon juice, and then two teaspoons of the mushroom lemonade and with charcoal and chaga powder. Shake it up and drink it throughout the day. Be mindful, though, that because charcoal is such a powerful detoxifier, you don't want to eat with this because anything you eat will not get assimilated properly. So I like to drink this in between my meals, sometimes when I'm fasting, but never, never with a meal. 
the taste is great and I've definitely noticed a change in my skin. Now you can use the coupon code KETO, all in caps, no spaces for 15% off this and all other Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com slash keto. Again, that's coupon code KETO for 15% off to get your glow on. Okay, back to today's episode. And you mentioned your protocol and something you are quite good at. I love your Instagram pictures where you're showing different food together and showing the differences of the nutrients. You know, when I first got started with keto five years ago, it was like bacon, 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 butter, bacon, bacon, butter. Can we chat a little bit about how your protocol is different and what you found um, with your experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the major you know, when people first discover ketogenic diets, especially these days, because there's so much media and there's so many books coming out about them, their approach can be kind of a, you know, I guess a, a more a reckless approach towards it, in part because, you know, when you start to increase your fat intake, um, and a ketogenic diet for those, you know, I mean, your listeners are obviously very savvy, but it's a, it's a very high percentage of calories from fat. And once you start to titrate up your fat intake, it becomes critically important important, the types of fats that you're, that you're consuming. And I would say the other major conception is that, um, you know, the ketogenic diet needs to be a high fat diet. You know, I think that you can eat a, uh, well, first of all, you can be in deep ketosis by consuming no fat whatsoever. And this is a natural physiological response to starvation, right? And we obviously don't want to starve. We want to, I mean, the ketogenic diet really is a way of hacking and, uh, you know, eating a diet that really serves as a starvation mimetic in a way meaning that it mimics the physiological response to starvation without actually needing to be in a star in a starved state. So, you know, what are the kinds of foods that are not going to quote unquote knock you out of ketosis? Well, fat, because fat doesn't have an insulinogenic response. It certainly doesn't elevate blood sugar. And so, you know, we, we build these diets around fat, but early iterations of the ketogenic diet, especially those that, you know, are described in medical literature for treatments for epilepsy, the ketogenic diet has been used as a treatment for hard to treat epilepsy for almost a century now. You know, it's really a diet that focuses around heavy cream and cheese and, you know, high fat um, meats. And they don't stipulate as to, you know, is the meat grass fed or is it grain fed? They don't, you know, in these, in those early ketogenic studies, they didn't really care where the fat was coming from. Whereas now I think we know that uh, the kinds of fat that you consume really dictate, you know, the moment to moment quality of your brain function, how you feel, your capacity to burn fat, and ultimately your long-term health too. So, you know, I would say the biggest misconceptions um, include the fact that, you know, we should be eating lots and lots of butter and bacon and that, you know, that really isn't true. You can be on a ketogenic diet eating lots and lots of fibrous veggies. And, uh, and that's really the, the iteration of the ketogenic, that I ketogenic diet that I practice. Because I think now we know that, you know, fiber is very beneficial, you know, phytonutrients, you know, plant pigments like lutein, zeaxanthin, lycopene, these are powerful antioxidants. And, you know, I don't think that, uh, that a diet that excludes those kinds of foods really is going to be, over the long haul, all that beneficial. So I think it's about marrying both schools of thought, you know, that ketogenic dieting and things like that, very, you know, potentially beneficial, but the power of, of veggies can't be dis discounted either. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I realized that, you know, 
glucose burning state is a glucose burning state. And there are thousands of diets that you can manipulate food in order to stay in a glucose burning state and get maybe the results you want. And then with keto, I think we all have this belief. I mean, it's changing, but when I got into it five years ago, it was very much like keto is keto. There's one way to keto, but just like there's thousands of ways to do this glucose burning thing. There's gotta be a bunch of different ways to this keto thing. So I think it's really great. I totally agree with you that plants now play a much bigger role in my life than the bacon, bacon, bacon. I hope you're totally digging this episode. I love putting these together every week and I hope you're getting something out of it. I love seeing where you're listening from. So next time you're listening or even right now, take a picture of yourself watching the show or a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram at healthful pursuit. And if social isn't your thing, that's totally fine. Just jump on your favorite podcast player and leave a review for the show. Okay, back to the good stuff. If somebody's wanting to implement more healthy practices into their daily routine, what should they prioritize? What should be their main focus? Oh, man. I mean, man, there's so many ways to answer that question. But I, you know, I think diet is obviously a huge um, player. I think, you know, focusing on nutrient density, cutting out the packaged processed foods, you know, that uh, misconception surrounding keto, I think, is a major one. You know, like I, I think that the jury on saturated fat you know, when we look at the population as a whole, it seems that saturated fat is not the dietary demon that it once was, right? Um, we can look, most recently, there's some really interesting um, observational level evidence that full fat dairy is better for us than low fat dairy, which is a great thing, right? Low fat dairy or fat free dairy is a processed food, whereas full fat dairy is, you know, obviously going to be less processed, contains all the fat soluble nutrients that we need. But dairy is the only food group where there's more saturated fat than unsaturated fat. And if saturated fat was really that unhealthy for us, you'd think that um, people that consume more full fat dairy would have increased risks of, you know, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and actually, the opposite is true, that they have a, a reduced risk. You know, their metabolism seems to be, you know, functioning better when they consume full-fat dairy. So that being said, you know, there are, if the average health of a population improves when people consume higher levels of saturated fat-containing foods, you know, those averages aren't really designed to reflect how the outliers are doing. You know, the small group of people within that population that maybe have genes that cause them to over-respond to saturated fat. So... I think, you know, in terms of precision, personalized nutrition, I still think it, it requires a little bit of a little bit of experimentation. You know, I personally am still mindful of where my fats come from. And, you know, I would much quicker cover my food in extra virgin olive oil, which is higher in unsaturated fat, and also, you know, phytochemicals, polyphenols, things like that, than I would butter which isn't to say that butter is unhealthy. I cook with butter. It's a very stable fat for high heat cooking, obviously, and things like that. But, you know, I think the, the fat question is really kind of critical. And, you know, I like to remind people that the, the oil or the dietary fat that has the sort of strongest body of evidence in support of it as being your sort of chief dietary oil is extra virgin olive oil. So, and I'm not paid by big olive either. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think, you know, optimizing sleep is also critically important. People like to try, you know, dietary change for most people is one of the hardest things to really accomplish. And it becomes infinitely more difficult when we're underslept and stressed out. So, you know, optimizing your sleep, reducing sources of chronic stress or learning how to better manage that stress in your life, I think is really important. And also physical exercise. I mean, you know, physical exercise is 
critically important. And that ranges from, you know, neat or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, meaning like taking the stairs, dancing, um, you know, using a standing desk. Uh, these are all things that are not exercise, but they, you know, boost your, you know, your metabolic rate. Um, they're really good for your, you know, it's good for your, your, your metabolism. Um, and then also exercise, you know, everything from uh, aerobic exercise to high intensity interval training to resistance training. I think these are all really critical parts of the puzzle. Yeah. So it's, it would be hard for me to say that there's any one area that's more important than others. It's sort of like a pie, you know, and uh, you want to really make sure that all those aspects are, are optimized. Completely. It's never just one thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. One of our uh, Keto Unlimited members, uh, Marnie, she wanted to ask you, um, she follows your content quite well. And I guess once you said that the damage to your brain starts 30 years before the signs ever show up. And she was just wondering what your recommendations were for like the top three things, understanding it's still a pie, things that you can do now to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Well, you know, so that you know, that uh, idea that dementia and in particular Alzheimer's disease begins in the brain decades before the first symptom, what they've seen, the biomarker that they've, that they've identified that's associated with Alzheimer's disease that is measurable decades before the first symptom is reduced glucose metabolism in, in the brain. Um, and this is true of people that carry the genetic risk factor or the most well-defined genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, the APOE4 allele. And so what they found is that these, these people uh, have reduced glucose metabolism, but the brain's ability to use ketones as a source of fuel is undeterred by that gene variant. And so, so I would say one of, the, one of the things that I think that, you know, that, that I theorize and, and long-term you know, studies in humans have not been done and probably won't you know, be completed for uh, quite a while, is to be in a state of ketosis, at least intermittently, um, to allow these sort of, uh, you know, this alternate fuel substrate to make its way up to the brain and to, to allow your brain to, you know, continue to create energy, whereas it might, you know, have trouble doing that with, you know, if all, if the only fuel that you supply it through your lifespan is glucose. The other thing I think vascular health is, is really important, you know, uh, Similarly, with the heart attack, you know, when you if you have a heart attack, it's not something that uh, began the night before you having a heart attack. This is a decades-long process. Nurturing vascular health, I think, is critically uh, important. And you know, one of the things that I've been really uh, interested in lately is the role that vitamin D plays in vascular health. So I would say getting you know adequate sun exposure uh, is critically important. And you know, vitamin D one of the one of the mechanisms by which vitamin D protects your vasculature is by reducing what's called arterial stiffness. Arterial stiffness is something that tends to increase with age. And in people that are genetically at risk for Alzheimer's disease, it might actually uh, markedly reduce blood flow to the brain. So getting adequate levels of vitamin D, whether it's you know through sun exposure or in the winter months taking a, a vitamin D supplement, I believe the Institute of Medicine's current uh, upper tolerable um, or upper safe intake for vitamin D is 4,000 international units. You know, I think that's pretty important. And then also when it comes to the metabolism, which is important, maintaining insulin sensitivity, you know, to the best of your ability. And to me, what that means is cutting out the kinds of foods that are going to keep insulin chronically elevated throughout the day. There was a, a, a research calculation performed and published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease that speculated that, um, or I guess it wasn't a speculation, it was, an, it was an estimate rather, 
that um, 40% of Alzheimer's cases might be owed to chronically elevated insulin alone. So, you know, if you're on a ketogenic diet, obviously you're checking those, those boxes. But, uh, but yeah, what I like to do is I like to be very deliberate with my, you know, consumption of foods that are going to spike insulin. I like to keep insulin, you know, pulsatile and, uh, and in particular, you know, deliberately targeted towards when I want that growth stimulus in my body, which is usually going to be after a vigorous workout. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the APOE gene? Um, because these people who have this can't metabolize saturated fat well. So what are your thoughts on those people being in the ketogenic diet? Because of no what I've noticed lately is a lot of people say, well, I can't be keto because I don't, I have the APOE gene, uh, E4 gene, and therefore I can't eat, eat a ketogenic diet. And my response is always, but you can still do monounsaturated fat. What is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I kind of alluded to that earlier. But yeah, I mean, if you take a large population, and you feed them lots of butter, you know, maybe we'll see that on on average, you know, the health of the population improves. But APOE4 carriers make up only a quarter of the population. So there could be, you know, a, a group within that population that's actually suffering, uh, potentially, and we don't actually really know, you know, how an APOE4 responds to saturated fat. But it's sort of believed that APOE4 carriers are less effective at recycling lipoproteins in the body. And uh, this machinery that recycles these lipoproteins that can potentially become atherogenic rely on uh, LDL receptors in the liver. And one of the mechanisms by which saturated fat tends to raise cholesterol is that it reduces the number of LDL receptors on the surface of the liver. And so for, for APOE4 carriers where it's believed, it's not, you know, this is not the, the medical consensus by any, by any means, but it's believed that APOE4s can use a little extra help when it comes to recycling these lipoproteins so that they don't become small and dense and, you know, ultimately uh, present a risk to your endothelium, you know, maybe cut down on the saturated fat intake. Maybe full fat dairy is not ideal for APOE4 carriers. I don't claim to, you know, have a... a uh, an answer with certainty, but you know this is just something where you know for people that are at risk with for Alzheimer's disease, i.e., carriers of the APOE4 allele among them, you know I think maybe using less butter, more extra virgin olive oil, you know less hard cheeses and things like that. More, uh, you know, I guess you know hard cheese would be the one area where I feel that you know it's obviously going to be a, a much higher concentration of saturated fat. So it's an area for me where I feel safe, like cutting that out of my out of my diet. I think that's probably a smart idea. You know, it's always wise, I think, you know, people in the nutrition community, we always want like concrete answers, right? But there are questions for which concrete answers do not exist. So in the interim, I think it's always smart for people like us. I know we're always trying to push the envelope, but I think it's really smart for people, you know, especially when it comes to like our long-term health and the decisions that we make day to day. I think it's wise to hedge your bets in a way. And so you know, I don't, I've, you know, cut the hard cheeses out of my diet. I don't miss them. Um, you know, I'll use butter occasionally, you know, occasionally I put, I'll put a little bit in my coffee because I enjoy the taste, but I'm not kidding myself into thinking that that's, you know, it's making my coffee healthier by doing that. So, so yeah, I think, I think that's wise, um, you know, and science needs to further elucidate the role that, you know, that diet plays specifically for APOE4s, but, in the meantime, there's so many other healthy, delicious, you know, high fat foods, and you don't need to consume more saturated fat to be on a ketogenic diet at all, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, it's so true. Okay. Speaking about delicious fats and delicious things that are also good for you. I'd like to pick your brain on biohacking a little bit with like simple things. How did you get into biohacking or what's your relationship with it right now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess I've been like an early adopter and, you know, biohacking is sort of a new term, but I, you know, I think what it means to me is really kind of staying up on the latest uh, research and utilizing technology to take a systems approach uh, in terms of optimizing your health, you know? So whether that means really getting to know your health report on 23andMe to using a sleep tracker, if you're not sure how, you know, whether or not your sleep is, you know, optimized uh, or even calorie tracking for some people that have no concept of, you know, how many calories are in the foods that they're eating. Um, these are all ways of just, I think, getting a broader understanding of how our choices and our environment affect our biology. I would say for me, the majority of hacking, quote unquote, that I do is not so much to my biology, but to my environment. You know, the modern environment has become so far removed from the environment you know, in which we evolved that to me, I find most of my efforts are put towards like hacking the environment, you know, whether that means, you know, wearing blue blockers before I go to sleep, which is probably one of the most beneficial things that I think anybody can do in the modern world when, you know, screen, ex screen exposure is so ever present. I think blue blockers are, are pretty important. I wear them. People can, you know, go to my, I think I put the link to what, to the ones that I wear on my website. And, uh, yeah, cold showers, you know, we live in a, a, a world that loves to keep us within this very narrow range of comfort. I call it chronic climate control. And so, you know, if I hack my environment by, by regularly exposing myself, exposing myself to variations in temperature, you know, whether that means standing out on my terrace in the winter without a shirt, I call it free cryo, to, uh, to you know, taking cold showers or sitting in a sauna, you know, these are ways of circumventing the fact that the modern world really has made it very difficult for our bodies to, to receive a stimulus that compels it to grow stronger and more resilient. And, um, and, you know, I think that's ultimately what we, what we all want is to become more robust. And, you know, these are the things that I do that, you know, I feel and research backs me up can help us become more robust and resilient. And really they're, mo they're, they're ancient solutions to modern problems at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So you mentioned cold showers, blue blocking, um, with meditation, do you feel like meditation falls under hacking a little bit because of the brain and moods and all the things? I definitely think it, it, it is a way of hacking like modern chronic psychological stress. People are more anxious than ever before. And, uh, you know, meditation is a way of, it's an ancient practice again, but it's a way of kind of tuning out the noise and, uh, you know, I would be remiss to not admit that I'm not a, a very disciplined meditator. So I don't, I, I have a practice, but I don't meditate all that regularly, which is something that I'm trying to get better at. But, uh, but yeah, I think meditation is, is incredibly powerful. I mean, I definitely know when I need to meditate and I dose myself accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. Um, I picked up meditation when I was quite young, not really knowing what it was, but my mom made me do it when I was a kid. So it's just a th thing I thought all people did. So I'm so thankful to my mother for teaching me at such a young age that it's just part of what I do, like brushing my teeth. So Very lucky. thanks mom. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Back to today's episode in a sec. 
I've been a Fabletics VIP since September 2018 and just saved oodles of money on a pair of Pamela shorts, a Hudson seamless bralette, and my new favorite running around town pants, my Kerrigan joggers. If you haven't heard of Fabletics yet, let me give you the Coles Notes version. It's a website with a lot of workout wear for physical activities from the gym and beyond. And the prices are super fair, meaning if what's stopping you from getting out and moving your body is a fresh set of leggings, you can get the leggings and get out there. Fabletics is offering listeners of the podcast an incredible deal you won't want to miss. Get two leggings for only $24. This is a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. Just go to fabletics.com slash keto to take advantage of this deal now. You'll also receive free shipping on orders over $49 and international shipping is available too. Again, that's fabletics.com slash keto. Unsure of the link? Simply check out today's show notes for all the details. Okay, back to today's episode. Okay, switching gears a little bit to chat about toxins because we were chatting a little bit about environment and something that I've noticed, especially over the last year after my husband and I sold our house, moved into an RV, got really close to mother nature is how many toxins are in bath towels and sheets and just like everything, food containers. Um, What are your thoughts on glass versus plastic and just how to be less toxic? Yeah. I mean, toxic exposure, I think it's, it's major and I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on, you know, the toxins in consumer products like towels. I mean, they're, you know, I can't, I can't really speak to that in a, in an informed way, but air pollution is something that I've become really interested in because there is a pretty strong link between air pollution and risk for Alzheimer's disease and even cognitive decline well before a disease would present itself, you know, and going back to vascular health, you know, air pollution is something that, uh, that seems to be a, a pretty formidable enemy to vascular health. You know, they, it, Acute exposures to high pollution areas causes um, a reduction in heart rate variability, which is very important. Um, and uh, you know that's not a good thing. And so you know air pollution is is something that I think is is pretty critically important. You know hormone disrupting uh, chemicals in plastics. I think you know this is also critical. There's also these chemicals in in store receipts. So now whenever I you know. Yeah, it's it's I, I it get, use my shirt. I'm like, thanks yeah. or don't give it to me, I'm fine. <laughs> I do that too. I mean, you know, it's uh sometimes I look at the, you know, the the wonderful people that that check me out at the supermarket and, you know, there's probably a number of of confounding variables here, but I feel for them when they're when they don't wear plastic gloves to handle these receipts because they're touching them day in and day out. They're coated with a powder that, you know, acts like a powerful endocrine disruptor. And these chemicals are found in our plastics and plastic water bottles. And speaking of plastic, there is plastic in, you know, sea salts and the fish that we're eating and plastic was, you know, microplastics were recently identified in the human gut. So we live in a world that is becoming increasingly toxic. And, you know, I wonder how the next couple of decades are going to pan out for humanity. But that being said, I think you can't drive yourself crazy, right? Because the stress, chronically stressing out about these things um, will drive you to an early grave as well. So it's about making these incremental steps and just arming yourself with knowledge and, and, you know, giving people these insights where, you know, maybe now after listening to this, people will also grab the receipt with their, their, you know, shirts or their, you know, sleeves 
or have their, you know, cashier put the receipt in the bag instead of handing it to them personally, or, you know, maybe, you know, foregoing the receipt if it's not a big purchase altogether because of that insight. So, you know, I think as, as long as we can arm ourselves with knowledge, knowledge is power. And these are really the, you know, the kinds of insights that I rely on day to day. And once you sort of have them in your memory bank, it becomes autonomic. You know, you just kind of learn how to better navigate the world while simultaneously reducing your exposure to these kinds of toxic chemicals. Yeah, so true. And so you wrote a book. Can we chat a little bit about it and um, why you were called to write it? Yeah, so it's called Genius Foods. And I was called to write it. I'm very passionate about helping people prevent dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, obviously, that's going to be an uphill battle, because my my passion really is getting this information out to the younger people and younger people don't tend to care about Alzheimer's disease and dementia. But my mother has dementia and it's a horrible disease and um, it's, it's ravaging her brain. It's a major stress on the family and I wouldn't wish dementia onto my worst enemy. So, so what I did with Genius Foods is, you know, I, what I, my goal was to write the ultimate Bible to dementia prevention, evidence-based, no BS, um, to really give you a roadmap to um, procuring your most optimal brain health today and decades into the future. But it's also kind of glazed, if you will, with this, this other burgeoning line of research called nutritional psychiatry, which shows us how the same steps that we can take that are going to help minimize our risk for developing Alzheimer's disease and dementia also make our brains work better in the here and now. So for people that are you know, anxious or depressed or they feel like they can't focus, um, my book really is going to give you the tools to help shed brain fog and really you know, gain back your cognitive birthright, which is, you know, I mean, optimal brain function, having a brain that works as well as it ought to should be a right afforded to every single person. And unfortunately, for too many, it's a it's a privilege. You know, one in seven younger people complain of memory problems. This is like a major thing. One in six adults is on or has tried a pharmaceutical drug, or not a pharmaceutical drug, a psychiatric, a psychoactive drug. So, so we're struggling with our brain function. And it's no secret that, you know, books about anxiety are selling like hotcakes at the local bookstore. So it's, uh, it's something that I think people really need. And, you know, I've been really pleasantly surprised, you know, at this point, the book has been out for, I don't know, three, four months. And, uh, you know, people are reporting crazy weight loss. You know, I get messages from people that are like, you know, I'm morbidly obese and this book has helped me lose 80 pounds. You know, I'm like, what? That's amazing. And so, you know, it's all in there. I mean, it's like the best way to practice a ketogenic diet, the best way to begin to practice intermittent fasting um, or time-restricted feeding and some really robust, you know, mechanism as well is written into the book, how to optimize each neurotransmitter, you know, whether you've got depression or ADHD, it gives you a lay of the land of where, you know, the consensus really stands on pharmaceutical the value of pharmaceuticals, which I don't place a stigma on at all, versus nutritional interventions. So I wrote it to be a, a Bible. You know, I didn't know if I'd ever get to write a second book or anything like that. So I left nothing, nothing on the table. And I'm, I'm also not selling anything in it other than the information that's in it. You know, and you obviously have to buy the book to get that. But, um, but you know, I, I, my background is as a, as a journalist. So really kind of communicating these ideas in a way that is compelling to me really was my number one goal, you know, and, and to, to get to help people. Cause I see dementia every day. And it's, as I said, it's terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your mom. My grandpa experienced the same thing and it was the most challenging thing. And even as a teenager, I thought like, 
I hope that no other human has to experience something like this. And to know what you know, just about how brain health and stuff, it puts so much fuel to the fire. And I definitely see that passion in you. And I think that that's a great gift that you've probably gifted a lot of a lot of families. So thank you for putting it out there. Oh, man, it's, you know, I wish my mom didn't have dementia and that I would have never had had to write the book, to be totally honest. But because of this stroke of bad luck or whatever, it, you know, whatever it is, the, you know, my mom's diet over the years or her lifestyle, it's, it's impossible for me to isolate the, the smoking gun in my mom's life. But, you know, for millions of other people around the world, you know, this is something that we have a really profound window of opportunity to change our cognitive trajectory. And I recognize that young people, I mean, I only became interested in dementia because my mom developed dementia, right? Before my mom had developed dementia, dementia was not a word that was in my vocabulary. So anything about dementia, anything like that, I would have just glazed over, you know, let alone listen to a guy in a, in a white coat about, you know, lecture me about it, right? So I recognize that there's a fundamental limitation that, that these doctors have to get this message of prevention out there to young people. And, you know, I, I, I kind of seized the reins, you know, when I realized this to help, you know, my generation, my peers better understand health and nutrition. And I don't, you know, claim to have credentials that I don't. I'm not a medical doctor. You know, I'm not an academic scientist, although I've been trained um, over the over the past couple of years, obviously, in science communication um, and how to read papers and things like that. But um, but this is something health literacy is something that I think everybody should have, you know, like universities do not own science, you know. People with, with credentials after their name, certainly they're trained rigorously to get those credentials, but they don't own science. Science is a, it's a method of asking a question and investigating an answer. And I think it's something that we should all be trained in the same way that, you know, we should all have more literacy when it comes to cooking in the kitchen. We should all have more financial literacy. Health literacy is just one more aspect of, you know, the human experience that I think in the era of specialization, we've just completely shed and outsourced to our quote unquote experts and professionals. And, you know, if I break a bone, I'm going to the emergency room. If I have an infection, I'm going to the emergency room and I'm letting trained professionals help and prescribe antibiotics or whatever it is that I need. But when it comes to true wellness, that's something that begins with you and it ends with you, you know, and it's, it's about the questions and, you know, that you ask yourself and the decisions that you make when you're pushing the shopping cart through the supermarket and whether, you know, when you're debating with yourself, whether or not you should get off your butt and go to the gym, that's really, um, the source of wellness. And I, I just hope to try to help people, I guess, you know, better understand that. Yeah. I mean, so beautifully said, where can people get your book? Because now I want a copy. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. People can go to geniusfoodsbook.com or they can pick it up anywhere they buy books. It's on Amazon. It's, you know, at all the major bookstores. Yeah, it's everywhere. So Genius Foods is out there. And then also I have um, my own podcast now, which I launched, launched recently. It's called The Genius Life. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can come and check me out over there. Um, just search The Genius Life. And I'm also very active on Instagram, as you mentioned. So come over, say hi. I, uh, I love to connect with people. So Amazing. Max, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. 
The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.